subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Darren Lewis of Daily Mirror and Miguel Delaney of The Independent. The end of the transfer window is like the morning after a wild party. There are stains on the carpet, there's something sticky all over the walls, and there's a drunken stranger asleep in the corner. <laughs> so, what do clubs do about players who just don't want to be there? Let's start with Alexis Sanchez. Clear up the mess, Darren, will you? Oh, it's going to take some time. <laughs> <laughs> I think as far as Alexis Sanchez is concerned, Arsenal got a big problem because the PR all summer has been that he wouldn't go. Then they were about to sell him. Then he went and had a premature party with, uh, sorry, just to follow your analogy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with Manchester City uh, and, 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 and with his chilly teammates as well, um, only to find that he's stuck at the club that he doesn't want to be at. And let's not kid ourselves. He's made it clear with his statement he wants to carry on playing Champions League football. Arsenal win the Europa League. Sanchez is an unhappy player. I can't see how a failing team under a manager who it's hard to accept, but he has passed his sell-by date, is going to inspire Alexis Sanchez over the coming months. Mm. Do you expect him to play? Yeah, I think he will. And to be fair, the, the one thing you do hear about Sanchez, and a lot of people know him, is that once you put a ball in front of him, he, is, he, he, he will just get down to it. But at the same time, he, as Darren said, he's clearly he, he's agitating for a move away. Uh, and even whatever about his situation, I think it's a bad thing for Arsenal. I mean, as you said... They, despite their stance all summer, they ultimately showed it was movable and they, 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 they did ultimately fold them. They were willing to sell them. But also, that is a stale team in need of rejuvenation. And you can't rejuvenate when one player, one of your best players clearly doesn't want to be there. And it, it, it kind of feeds into this bad atmosphere around the team. So I think it's actually... It, I mean, had you been told in June that it keeps Sanchez, it would sound like such a positive. But now it's not because they really... They need... The, well, we've seen some of the other issues they're transferring though. But they could have done with the money to reinvest and bring in someone who actually wants to be there. Now, as we now know, Thomas Lamar didn't want to be there either. Mm. So they've been flip-flopping. Is there a credibility issue, one for the manager and two for the club itself? Yes. In very simple terms, I think, uh, because the club changed what was, until the end of the transfer window, uh, a, a very unequivocal, a seemingly unequivocal stance, uh, then they basically blinked and 
looked as though they were trying to do a deal and couldn't do a deal because a high-profile player at Monaco, Thomas Lamar, as Mick says, said, I don't want to play in the Europa League. I don't want to go to Arsenal. Then, Michael, you've got the other issues. Kieran Gibbs going to West Brom and saying, Tony Pulis will make me a better defender. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain going to Liverpool and saying, I'm better served taking the next step of my development under Jurgen Klopp rather than Arsene Wenger. Then that's before you even get all to, to the transfer business. Aaron Ramsey and the social media faux pas that he's had to explain away using the hashtag shambles and giving the fascinating at best explanation that it's a nickname they use for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. <laughs> Believe yeah, right. what you will. Exactly. Um, I, I, I think you've got at Arsenal a group of players that have lost faith in the manager. Lucas Perez and his agent have openly criticised Arsene Wenger. Gabriel has gone back to Valencia. Uh, there, there are so many players at Arsenal. Mustafi, the, 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 the received wisdom is that he wants to move on already. Uh, Arsenal have a big problem in terms of credibility as a club and in terms of credibility as their manager as well. It's a real shame because they're a wonderful club who have tried to, to do things the right way but are now being left behind by the Premier League elite. And, and you've got Meza Ozil, who, let's face it, lives in a glass wall mansion. <laughs> Shouldn't be throwing rocks around, yet he's telling the critics to basically shut up. Mm. I, I think actually he's almost emblematic of this Arsenal team in so many ways, in the sense that one of the major problems at Arsenal now, particularly in contrast to um, I suppose everyone else that's been a champion in the last few years, is rather than that being the kind of the hard, ruthless atmosphere that push players on and makes them better. The issue, and, and it's why I think uh, players haven't publicly kick, kick, kicked up a bit of anger so far, is that there's this kind of vibe of indulgence in the club. I think we've said it on here before, but sometimes with, with Wenger these days, it feels like he's kind of, he's the, um, the old teacher that, have, that the class all likes because he lets them get away with murder. But then when it comes to exam time, they're, they're struggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I think and Ozil's someone that's kind of, he's just, he's, a, he, he's indulged more than anyone almost. Yeah. And it means he has all these, so many games where he does something brilliant and kind of dabbles, dabbles the match and kind of decorates them, but he doesn't really kind of dominate them in the way a player of his talent should. Mm-hmm. And which I think he's, he's absolutely wrong to be called a cricket because he, he's, and again, I suppose he's given them another issue that he hasn't signed that contract yet. But for someone who has such a name and whose contract is up soon, for there to, to be absolutely no interest in him is, uh, is, is damning Damn. in itself. I mean, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's worse than any criticism. To, to sum it all up, Darren, what do you expect the atmosphere to be like when Arsenal play Bournemouth? On febrile, febrile, because Arsenal as a team are there for the taking, for any well-organised team that they come up against. And as we all know, it's almost a perfect storm because the players are unhappy, the fans are unhappy. Arsenal fan TV is almost on mobile standby <laughs> every game for when they, it was, you know, they have to suit up after 10 minutes now in the games because uh, the, the things are getting so bad. And I just think that around every game there is the potential for crisis. And it will be interesting to see if Arsene Wenger has the appetite to, to see out the crisis. Quite interesting in that Meza Ozil um, tantrum of a statement uh, where he criticises all the, the people who have actually won things, done things for Arsenal, given the club great moments in their history. Uh, and, and he's had the temerity to have a go at them. At no stage in that huge rant does he say, I am going to commit myself to the club for the long term. And that's quite damning of him. I think he does want out. The problem is nobody wants him. And as far as Arsenal are concerned, they have to now carry him for another season. Mm. Philip Coutinho, Migs, 
He's distraught, weeping that he can't get to Barcelona. Jurgen Klopp is saying, we are where we wanted to be. How do you square that circle? Um, well, I suppose, unlike Arsenal, to be fair, Liverpool didn't bend at all. Uh, they were very strong in San Coutinho. And I think the fact that it was FSG, the owners, came out the statement that even rather than the club, they would keep him, was significant. And they did stick to that. Um, I think just from Coutinho's character, I mean, it's different to Alexis in that he's not, he's not quite just kind of someone... Not, that almost puppyish enthusiasm that, that, uh, that Alexis has in terms of, of football. They, they are different, but I think... I mean, from what you hear, he's not one to, to act up despite what's happened in the last month. It's more people around Coutinho rather than Coutinho himself. Yeah. So I think Coutinho will be fine. And also it helps that um, they've actually they've shown more, more than any point over the past two years that they don't need him as much as they did mm. uh, because the team has been going so, going so well. So I think that will help the situation. Um, and Klopp's got the man management skills, hasn't Yeah, it? completely. I mean, look, I mean, actually, it's, it's one, I think it's one of the more interesting things about this transfer window, actually, from a, a period, let's say, even a decade, to be honest, or more, where Liverpool couldn't really compete with the wealthiest Premier League clubs in terms of getting top players in. And they work on, being, not being the Champions League, obviously, was a, hamstrung them as well, but Klopp has made them a very attractive proposition again. So many players want to join because of him. And there, there is that, that, that good vibe around the team. Now, the one frustration of the transfer window, I think, is that a lot of people, particularly fans, expect it to be kind of a blockbusting, game-changing transfer window. They would have got Van Dijk. They would have got an extra attacker to really bolster the team. So they are a little bit thin, maybe. And, and there's still that issue there and the issue of the defence as well. But yes, it's still, still the, the atmosphere is broadly positive. And I think keeping Coutinho, despite everything, despite him wanting away, is still a very good thing in that regard. It's interesting to your earlier point about the importance of the Champions League. Lamar has said that he wouldn't mind going to Liverpool. Mm. Let's just dwell, though, just on, on Coutinho and Barcelona, just for a second. Mm. Barcelona is saying that they bid €200 million. Euros. Mm. Liverpool saying fantasy. Mm. What's the reality? The reality is that Barcelona are, are on a huge PR exercise mm. to appease their fans who are unhappy with them. Liverpool have been consistent. I was out in Singapore earlier in the summer where Liverpool were saying on and off the record, we will not sell Coutinho. Not only that, because the first bid came in overnight when the mm. Liverpool contingent out in Singapore were in their hotel room. They called us over to the Ritz-Carlton for one particular brief and they made it very clear as a team hotel. Can you just give us an insight into how that works? Basically, we, there was the main press conference that they would have where the questions are fired in by Sky Sports and every other broadcaster who's convened there and, and Klopp gives his opinion off the record. Then afterwards, we're able to ask our own questions, some of which are for publication, some aren't. And Liverpool were consistent throughout that they not only didn't had rejected the bid, but they did not even want to negotiate with Barcelona. And that wasn't just a window dressing or whatever else, it was a, a line they stuck to all the way through the summer. It's quite interesting, while we were out there, for example, there were reports here in, in, in England that a delegation had been flying over to negotiate with Liverpool. Well, that was news to Liverpool, you know, because Michael Edwards, who deals with all of their transfers, he was here in Merseyside and 
And so there was a lot of sort of smoke and mirrors surrounding it, lots of attempts to unsettle Coutinho, lots of attempts to suggest that Liverpool were, there was some magic number that Liverpool were prepared to listen to. And you have to admire their stance. They said right from the outset, we will not sell him, and they did not bend. And, you know, as, as Mick says, you know, it, Coutinho himself, he'll get on with it. I think there will be no problem whatsoever with him or his quality. He scored a wonderful goal for Brazil the other day. Um, Amazing how his back injury cleared up, wouldn't <laughs> Dr. it? Dr. Deadline Day is an absolute <laughs> genius. I recommend him if you've got a problem. <laughs> but I, I think as far as... Um, and another great point I, I agree with you, Mick, is that he goes back into a team that are flying at the moment. The way they took Arsenal apart, they could have scored eight, let alone four. And I think, you know, they no longer, as they once appeared to... They no longer need him to carry them. They've got the strength, they've got the tools. Mene and Salah are great additions. They've got the cutting edge, they've got the pace, the ingenuity. And so he goes into a side that are flying at the moment. And I think he'll want to be part of that side in World Cup. Yeah, I think they'll be fine. Mm. There is a, a sense, though, that it's a problem sh shelved, really, rather than solved. And it's certainly the case with Virgil van Dijk at Southampton. That's... The two sides there seem to be so far apart, you can't see any rapprochement at all. What's going to happen to him? And is he just going to hang around until January when they, when they well, sell him? It's his difficulty, of course, that he, like Coutinho himself, actually, signed a new contract last year. So, I mean, it is amazing if they, if they did have these desires to go. That they, that, I mean, Coutinho, specifically, given he knew of Barca's interest yeah. and he signed the contract so recently. Um, it's... it's it's a very difficult situation. Again, you have to admire Southampton's backbone in that as well. But then they've created a problem for themselves also. It, 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 it is a very difficult situation to be in because on the one hand, you want to show strength. On the other hand, I suppose, why, why it happens so often that these players eventually leave because the clubs realise, well, what, what purpose does it serve us to have this guy here? We may as well get the, the best deal for him. Um, I suppose there was another issue with the fact that they didn't want to do business with Liverpool specifically. But they've made their point now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I, I think that is it, that they have made their point. I, I do know, um, and this is one of the things that, that, that from being out there, that the, the two owners of the club, Southampton and mm. Liverpool, have been talking. Yeah. Liverpool have been trying to repair that relationship that had been affected uh, by what had happened earlier in the summer. Um, and, and their view was they would not make an approach for Van Dijk unless Southampton indicated they were prepared to do a U-turn on what had been their previous position. As it was, uh, uh, you're right, they had decreed they needed to draw a line in the sand and that they would not sell anymore. And now I think the problem is for Van Dijk because in World Cup, yeah, again, you want mm. to play. Yeah, you yeah. want to play. And I think... I don't, think, know, I don't think Dutch will be getting there, though. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, that's fine. Yeah. yeah, that's a fair point. But I think as, as far as he yeah. is concerned, players want to play. Mm. And I think it will serve him no purpose whatsoever being stuck in the reserves when his players are... Uh, uh, when his teammates are going out there. Where he does have a problem is even if Southampton, there have been noises from players wanting him back into the squad, that they you know, will the fans accept him? Because that transfer request and all of the, the stuff he came up with it seemed to burn every, every conceivable bridge that he could have done. Will the fans have him back in the side? Will they want him to pull on the shirt again? You know, will he be able to perform for them with the conviction that he had done previously? I think the problems are more his rather than mm, yeah. his clubs. Yeah, it's an interesting point about his teammates because essentially what he's done, he's told his teammates, I'm better than you, I'm yeah. better than this, so I'm going to be off. 
Yeah, as you said, Darren, one or two of them are thinking about their own self-interest. We're a better team with, mm. him, with us. Yeah. What about the attitude of players in all this? You know, we in the media get up in arms about it. Fans protest about a lack of loyalty. Mm. Clubs are briefing about it. But actually, the players themselves understand what's going on, yeah. don't well, they? I was, I was actually talking to a former player just a few weeks ago about this very issue. And he's kind of saying that what does happen a lot is that it's, 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 players, like the teammates are actually conflicted. I mean, on the one hand, yes, they think like, this guy will make a better team. On the other hand, it's the message he's sending to them, right, you're not good enough for me. Mm. And that does rankle. And I said, usually they, like, they would try and play, like, be a bit of banter about it. Like, they go in, mm. and they, they go in, in, the, in the morning to training, see the guy there, oh, you're still here, that sort of stuff. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, I suppose they're kind of conflicted as well. Mm. I mean, South, is that what Southampton have done? They bought two, two defenders mm. during the uh, two centre-halves during the summer transfer window. So they do have uh, Wesley Hoyt they bought from Lazio and Jan Bednarek uh, they also mm. bought in as well. So they have the players in place. They also obviously have players from uh, last year, Yoshida and Jack Stevens as well. So they've got players in there. Obviously, Van Dijk makes them a better start, but better mm -hmm. team, and so you would want him back in there. As I said before, you know, it's whether or not the players might accept him. The players might still want him in, but will the fans have him in? Mm. We're coming back this weekend, Premier League back. There'll be quite a few teams in transition, simply because they've got to bed in new players. Mm. Liverpool are at City. You're Jurgen Klopp. Where do you play Alex Oxley chamberlain or do you play him at all? Um, <laughs> Glad you've got this one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, uh, I actually don't think they'll start him because you often see as well when when, like, when a new signing is brought in, unless unless he's filling a very obvious hole in the yeah. team, that they kind of just leave him. They, they, you know, there's that period of as you say, betting, betting him in. Also, I, think, I do find it amazing because I don't think Oxley Chamberlain is going to get the regular midfield football that he seems that he seems to want. Yeah, but I, I think he's gone there because he believes that he's got more of a chance of forcing his yeah, way yeah. in at his preferred position mm. than trying to nail down a position that he doesn't like yeah. anyway, as he would have to have done at Chelsea. Uh, and you know, obviously at Arsenal, uh, Wenger was playing him at left wing back as well. But, you know, I, I, I would stick with what I've got if you win 4-0 in the manner that they did against Arsenal. And then every single player in that team deserves to hold down his place. Mm. Wijnaldum's been very, very good in that position uh, in central midfield. The others also have won their place. But I think Oxlade-Chamberlain will eventually get games. People have said, what are you doing going in there at a club where they've got an embarrassment of riches? But teams that win things, guys, they yeah. have an embarrassment of riches. They've oh, yeah. got the depth of squad. The, the days of fixed first 11s are gone, really. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny, people go, now, why would you go there when they've got so many players? And then in the next breath, criticise clubs like Chelsea and whoever else for not having enough mm. depth. Mm. I think he's done exactly the right thing for him. And I applaud his decision not to hide, as some players do at Arsenal, not to go and pick up the money or join Chelsea for the status, but to go to Liverpool and say, I want to have the answer to the question, where does Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain play? I want to be mm. able to provide the answer for everybody. Mm. You mentioned depth. City or United, who's got the strongest, deepest squad? Uh, City, I think, to be honest. Um, especially if you look at that attack. I mean, and apparently, it's, uh, Guardiola is a little bit worried about uh, the fact he doesn't have Sanchez now because they're a bit thin going forward. But <laughs> when, you, when, you see that, when you see that bench, like, <laughs> yeah, he genuinely isn't. But I mean, <laughs> but then, but then you, you look at that. Um, although the one issue, I mean, this, this is one, I think this is one of the interesting things about City's um, transfer window. Guardiola knows he has an issue in defensive midfield, but one is he, he's going to solve until next summer because he so wanted Sanchez this, this year and didn't get him. 
So that issue remains. But I think that's this is now where, I mean, for, for all that we kind of love the, uh, the pantomime transfers, in terms of the actual football, this is where it gets actually fascinating because I don't think any, none of the top six are actually ha- completely happy with their business. They all have an issue to solve. And now it's up to the manager. Now it falls to the managers. You've got to fix that issue just through pure coaching, through mm. a bit of tactical innovation. Mm. Now, Conte has already proven he can do that. Uh, Guardiola, you would have thought, given his history, he should have been able to, although he didn't last season. So I think that this is, we have to really meet of it now. Mm. I, I, I think United have got the greater depth. I think City have got the wonderful depth going forward. They, they're going to be exhilarating to watch. But defensively, I think they're not as strong you can as get United. At them, can't you, mm. still? you can get at them, as Bournemouth did, um, took them to the wire. And I think other teams, well-organised teams, will be able to do that. Whereas United, you could see that in, in central defence, they're strong. And the full-back positions, they're strong. In central midfield, Matic makes them a stronger side. They're well-organised, well-drilled. And up front, they've got an embarrassment of riches. Uh, Rashford couldn't get in the mm. side the other day. Um, with Lukaku scoring goals up front. And I think... Yeah, they, they, they look great. We will see this season how good a coach Klopp is with, because obviously he hasn't got Van Dijk and he hasn't got the central midfield and navigator until next summer. So we'll see how good he is in terms of improving what he has already. Same with Guardiola, as you say. Mm. I agree. I think he's bought John Stones. Has he improved him as a player as yet? I've yet to see that. I don't mm. think so. Um, so we've got. We'll, we'll see how good a coach is with the players he has. Because Conti, when he got Alonso Moses, and then everyone kind of thought, oh, "Hang on a mm. minute, this could be a disaster." He showed us how good a coach he is. He mm. improved on his players. He defied all those people who said, "What are you buying David Luiz for?" You know, he's going to be a disaster. He made him a title winner. So, can the other coaches follow in Conti's uh, footsteps? We'll see. Speaking of Conte, he probably had the best window. In other words, he just went to the beach, didn't he? Let me get <laughs> yeah, on with it. yeah. Um, <laughs> will he be that impressed though with the business that they did? You know, they had that scramble to get mm. Danny Drinkwater over the line after the deadline. What sort of mood would he be in? And also, what reception will Drinkwater get when he goes back to Leicester on Saturday? Yeah, um, I mean, as you was just talking even to a few Leicester journalists, I know some of the locals. I think they all pre- I mean, Drinkwater is ultimately responsible for one of the greatest moments in football history, let alone Leicester's history. Mm. Uh, he was part of that, so he'll, he'll always be going to cherish the club. In terms of Conte, um, the window is probably just about satisfactory enough for him to be kind of to be to get on with it now, like ju- just about. Although he was obviously so frustrated for so long, he didn't get what he wanted. Uh, but then, if, like I don't think we should forget that it was exactly actually exactly the same last summer, and it's it's something it, it does raise questions about Chelsea in that regard. But yeah, it was exactly the same last summer, but once, once the window closed and you had to get on with the work, that's exactly what Conte did. He, after the, uh, the win over Everton, the intermediate do the same. I think that's why he's probably the best hands-on coach in the league at the moment. But I suppose frustration from his part would be that having won the title, he would have thought his reward for that would have been to get exactly the squad he wants, not to once again have to kind of you know, figure out a tactical issue. And the issue this season is basically, how to get, oh, he's got his team, he, it works so well. But the issue now is how they can maintain that team working so well with more fixed, with more fixed Champions League and not exactly great depth. Mm, yeah, I'd agree with that. And mm. if you look at um, you know the last of the refuseniks, if you like, Diego Costa, mm. is he just so far out of the margins now that Conte is not even going to bother with him? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Conte was asked about him and on all the legal issues before the international break, and he just laughed, didn't he? Mm. Maniacally, mm. <laughs> he's just he's, he's just not a part of his plans and. 
in a way, I admire Conte for holding his nerve, despite the fact that we all know he's a title-winning goalscorer. But he's a destabilising influence in the Will they do a deal? Yeah, I think they will. Uh, and I think he'll leave in January. Yeah. Um, I think Costa will stay wherever he is, wherever he wants to be. Um, the fact that he doesn't even want to come back and go into uh, the results, I mean, that, that's a breach of contract, if anything mm. else, you know. Mm. Um, but I think as far as Chelsea are concerned, they're, 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 they're doing well enough without him. I think Conte's a victim of his own success, you know, mm. because as you rightly say, last summer uh, there were similar uncertainties around the players he'd brought in and he defied everyone to make it work and so the feeling is that potentially could do it again. People are underwhelmed about Matic leaving and Drinkwater coming in but Drinkwater is a couple of years early and does exactly what Conte wants. He actually wanted him, uh, people kind of think it's a desperation move but it's not. He wanted him at the same time as he wanted Canty mm -hmm. but he knew that Leicester wouldn't sell both players from their title winning midfield and he didn't want to jeopardise the move for Canty so they just went for Canty straight away. But Drink water will add significant depth to that midfield. Uh, he's a worker, he's a grafter. He should have gone to the Euros last year. It was a disgrace that he didn't. Uh, and that Jack Wilshire went instead of him when he was basically, well, he played a handful of games mm. and he was on one leg. And I, I just think as far as Drinkwater is concerned, he's going to be a fine player. Morata's answering all the critics and the people who thought maybe he's not as good as Lukaku. Uh, he's scored couple of classy goals so far, which is all he can do uh, when you come into a, a club the size of Chelsea. I think they'll be okay. The Champions League group isn't that tough. I don't think we can underestimate it, of course, but I don't think it's so tough that the squad they have mm. at the moment can't cope with it. And maybe they might strengthen again in January. Lukaku, I do think, is a big loss. Though. Mm. What about Barclay? You know, there were these wonderful images of him, or mental images anyway, about him sort of getting halfway through a medical yeah. and fleeing half naked. Picking his clothes off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not no, no having this. <laughs> no, I know he's denied all that, which is a bit of a shame, to be honest. Where's Barclay going in his career? Uh, I think he will get his move in January, um, and it's still probably maybe Tottenham a bit like, although Chelsea have kind of maybe moved ahead there now. But, I mean, he needs to move for, for his own sake, and especially given what Koeman said about him as well. But I, I wouldn't be too, I wouldn't fret about that situation too much. I think he, he will go in January. Right. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I think I think he'll go. I actually think he'll go to Spurs. I think if he wanted to go to uh, Chelsea, they'd have got that done on deadline day. You know, we saw deals mm. getting done at two a.m. Whatever else, I think they've got that done. I think he's going to go to Spurs. I think he's possibly got uh, has more confidence in what. Uh, Pochettino has planned for mm -hmm. him than what he has potentially at, at, at Chelsea. I am fascinated by the fact that Chelsea could have a Ruben Loftus cheek, you know, and, and that they've brought through their own academy and yet want a Barkley who's come through yeah. the Everton Academy. Yeah. That's fairly fascinating. But um, and, and other players as well, your Lewis Bakers, your Nathaniel Chalabers, and whoever mm -hmm. else, you know, you would have thought Chelsea would continue to have faith in given that they've plundered the FA Youth Cups and they've done so well yeah. at academy level and that these players are all going to strengthen other sides. Um, but I think as far as Barkley is concerned, I like Barkley, I think he's a good player, I think that a lot of people are willing to write him off too soon, and I think if he gets the right club, we'll see the best of him. What about it though, if you look at, uh, you know, Spurs are at Everton on Saturday, mm. you know Daniel Levy pretty well, as much as <laughs> any one of us does really. Um, did he win the transfer window again? I think he did. I, th I think he had a good window. I think for much of the window, he was derided by people who said he wouldn't yeah. spend. And then there was the whole Danny Rose thing. I don't want players I have to Google. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And Danny Rose was slaughtered for that. But, you know, I, I think I have sympathy for Danny Rose. I, I don't know if mm. you two will disagree with mm. me, but, you know, as we all know, the most difficult conversation to have with the employer is about wages. You know, I'm doing well, I deserve to be paid mm. more. Um, it's part of the best defence in the Premier League and has been for the past two seasons. Um, it's inconceivable. The other people go, why go to the press? Do they really think he hasn't gone and tried to address the issue with Daniel leaving the club? Um, I think he's, you know, go out and say what you've got to say, you know, and show a bit of leadership. And there are other players who feel the same way as he does. He's not an isolated mm. problem. If, in terms of a transfer window, though, I think they've brought in Davidson Sanchez, one of the most exciting young defenders in, in Europe, uh, from Ajax. Serge Aurier, they've brought in a younger, cheaper, a more experienced version of Carl Walker, who they sold for £52 million. Pounds. And then Lorente, they've got... The, 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 to beat Chelsea that as well, was like to, even in terms of kind of the, the perception that gives. Yeah, yeah. Do you think, what is Lorente? Is he a 10 or 15 games a season man now? Probably, yeah. Uh, and I think he's, he is content to serve the role. I mean, he initially willing to go to Chelsea to be almost kind of um, Morata's mentor as he was Juventus and kind of step in every now and then. And he's, he's usually valuable to have. Also, I think what's important with Spurs is that he'll give them that uh, very different... Um, type of attack because I think one of the issues as brilliantly as Pochettino's done and I'm going to be a huge fan of, of him one of the issues with Spurs it particularly came up in that game against Chelsea the 2-1 defeat is they get into this pattern and get, if, they, if they can't kind of break a team down with sheer force kind of the runs of Kane that suddenly they get into these, this weird template where for about 20 minutes basically the ball being pumped into the box comes back out another cross pumped out again and Urente at least, will kind of offer a Absolutely. potential solution to that so it's a very specific tactical issue they've solved there and what, what about the human issue, if you like, of Aurier. We know he's going to come with a lot of baggage, questionable mm. temperament. Will Spurs be able to keep a, a lid on it? Um, I, I'd say through Pochettino's force of personality, because uh, I think that that's been one of his positive. And again, we've seen Pochettino, if, they don't, if he doesn't ultimately bend, he'd be out there as, as, as quickly as he's come. <laughs> they might be keeping him in a mix zones, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Talking about there's, there's a a discussion around, you know, privately amongst the chaps at the moment about the relevance of England. Mm. And, you know, we're in an, an England international break and basically it's been, been completely overshadowed by transfer dealings and Premier League conjecture. Do you think the England team, Darren, is still relevant? I think it is, but I have a, I have a private frustration about the fact that there is a condescension um, of fans frustrations towards England we you know players managers even us in the media we, we call on fans to get behind the team and support the team um, and, and much you know to kind of buck a widely held belief the media want England to do well you know there is this nonsense we build them up and knock them down what a load of rubbish you know we want them to do well but then you know when fans get upset, as they did on Friday night, about what was an absolutely shambolic performance, they get told they don't understand the game and they get told, you know, get behind the team, whatever else. What they've been doing, we've been doing it all our mm -hmm. lives, getting behind England. You know, I said the other day, if you had a mate who let you down as often as England, you'd stop taking his calls. This <laughs> is ridiculous. I mean, yeah. what, what, what is it about the fans and 
that that they can't express a view, but pundits are able to, and players are able to, and everyone else is able to, except the people who have the financial investment in the team. Every time they play, it really annoys me that fans are dismissed in the way that they are. Mm. Because, you know, to your point about the media, I think most of us want Gareth Southgate to succeed. He's a good guy, emotionally intelligent, mm. you know, great communicator, got good ideas. But there's always a but. He's yeah. had nine games now. Also, the team has. I mean, I was, I was there on Friday night, and I, I, I like Sakai a lot. I think he's got good ideas, but you can, I mean, you can't get away with the questions about his own previous record, I suppose. And I also think one of the issues with England at the moment is that the team has, uh, after initially bright start under him, I think they got progressively worse in terms of how they attack. They're a little bit formulaic. Uh, I think he, he does have an issue there. But in relation to you know, I mean, it's one of the interesting things, I suppose, in terms of the media in England. I, I, I suppose in journalism, I suppose, even talking to some of our colleagues, covering the international game or covering your country, in the same way for a player, used to be kind of almost, this is a career pinnacle that you reached. But yet, I think maybe journalism almost reflects the sport in the same way in that international football just doesn't have the relevance it used to. And that, 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 that's a fact. And also, beyond that as well, in the, because of the nature of the club game now, how, how sophisticated clubs are, how integrated teams are, unlike 30 years ago, in the international game can never reach the quality of the club game. The best club teams will be so much better than the best international teams. And for, 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 for those reasons and, and others, basically it, it just means it's become a bit of an afterthought in that sense. And you know, it, it's important, Mike, it's important for us not to get swept away with this whole tub thumping nonsense. It's important for us mm. to point out where the deficiencies are, that they're not doing well enough. People will turn around and say, you know, what about France drawing with Luxembourg? France win things. Germany win things. You know, England, they flatter to deceive. And what you, people say, well, when we play against bigger teams, we do better. Yeah, but who did we get the Euros to? Iceland. Who did we struggle to beat in the World Cup? Algeria. To that point, and this is where the, the quality of the questions improve, because I'm now going on to the <laughs> section where we, we talk to the viewers and the listeners. Paul Fry says, look, is it worth England qualifying for Russia when we'll be lucky to get out of the group? That's a good question, because Miggs talked about the recent run of Southgate. You look at the France game, we're a man up against France, and, and we've got the yeah. advantage numerically as well in terms of the scoreline. We can't see the game out. Uh, we're, we're up against Malta, and listen, we know that they're a poor side who are going to pack men in front of the defence, but we've got the quality. We set up that the team selection was poor in the first place. I, I watched three international games this weekend. Obviously, the England one I was at, the Irish one when I was back in, in London on Saturday, being half Irish, and then the Spanish one that night being half Spanish. <laughs> and just the, uh, now obviously, the England game is kind of, you know, it's Malta, it's a tankless game. Ireland Georgia is basically two kind of, you know, Stoke against Stoke, or, or Stoke against West Brom, obviously, <laughs> in international terms. But, the, Sp the Spanish performance was light years out of both. I mean, and, the and I think there, there is still just, like when, when I was watching that, having seen England live before, I think there's a, there's a huge gap here. And they're actually, they're, they're, I think it's going to be an exciting World Cup in terms of the quality of some of the, of the favourites there. We've got good Spain, good France, good Germany, a resurgent Brazil. I think an Argentina that will come good again. Belgium have potential. And I think at the moment, it will make, okay, Belgium may be similar, similar questions to England in that regard. But I think England are some way off that... Uh, because what you want to see from games like Malta is some evidence. Listen, 
we take victory as a given. So people say, oh, we scored four goals and we're still getting criticised. We should be scoring four goals. But what we want from a game against Otmorta is to see how we've improved. Has the style of play improved? Do we play with authority? Do we pick the right teams? It's as much for Southgate to show us that he's improving yeah. as the players. Well, the, the, the problem for England, actually, and this is, I think, connected to, to so much of this, basically, for the last two decades, since year 96, basically, because qualification is almost always a given, they, do, they usually do it very easily, to be fair, it, it basically means that the only England games that ever matter are the first knockout of the tournament. That's the only one that can see any significance. Mm. It all comes down to... Uh, <laughs> the, irony, the irony of this, though, is mm. it's all against the backcloth of England's development teams doing yeah. really well. I saw a couple of their games last week. Uh, Mark Umney uh, asked us to look at the case of Jaden Sancho, mm. 17 years old, turned down £30,000 a week for his first pro contract at Man City, joined Dortmund, Dortmund. Mm. for £8 million. No first team starts anywhere, as mm. Mark says. He's given Dembele's shirt. I hope he thrives, he says. Mm. Mm-hmm. But is that too much pressure? I, I'm, I'm slightly surprised to go to Spurs because I think they're one, of, they're one of the few top six clubs that will actually give a young player a chance in that regard. But City didn't want him anywhere near yeah, another club. Exactly. Yeah. But, 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 club. But I think that's why you think you have to praise the decision because he's. Uh, you've seen something we, we mentioned Ruben Loftus cheek there. I mean, you have to, where, could, where could his career be now had he been getting regular ga- game time and not kind of this. I think one of the problems is kind of reserve football where they've played it's that they're kind of no consequence environments really and you can't really hone yourself as a player in that when you're in that situation whereas, whereas Sancho he's, he's going to force the issue mm. uh, and I think that, that is and also again like Spurs he's at a club that um, that will we'll, we'll play him as, and they've made that very clear with how they treated him the, the Dembele's gone to Barcelona it, it staggered me at the time he's only in the second professional season and yet they've paid over £100 million pounds for him <laughs> but it's a measure of how much Dortmund have improved him and what Sancho needs he's a terrific towering mm. talent he needs regular first team football he doesn't need to go to a Premier League club where he's going to come on it for 20 minutes at the end of games if he's lucky he's go, if yeah, he's lucky yeah, yeah. exactly or shuffled into the background he needs to go somewhere like a Dortmund who will give him not only the game time that he needs but surround him with the talent to get mm-hmm. the best out of him. I think he has made a wonderful decision for his career and that's what was seen as a feature of this summer. Mm-hmm. A number of young players making the best decisions for their career rather than being starry-eyed in, yeah. and, 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 and being led into joining big clubs for the sake of it. Okay, let's go on to club football. Uh, Tommy Peck from Sydney says, Lorente, Barclay and the Ox all reject Chelsea. Are Chelsea losing their appeal? Um, I think it's probably maybe a, a, a little harsh thing. To a degree, some of this, some of the, the different specific cases, and it's coincidental almost that they kind of come together. Saying, I don't think there's maybe an issue with Chelsea in that regard. Uh, I, I do wonder though whether some of this is basically that Conte couldn't offer them the regular first team football that um, other managers might have because. Because as we as we all knew from the start of the summer, Chelsea weren't really looking for first team players; they were looking for depth um, and player players to stand in. And I think well, Llorente would have gone, except maybe Spurs ultimately came in with a kind of a, a superior offer. Although I think the, 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 I think that was a strange situation um, in terms of how that deal came about, and given it seemed so certain that Chelsea wanted them, I think they, they went slightly cool on the day. Oxley Chamberlain again, as I've discussed, that's also kind of a, a idiosyncratic situation because because what he wants from midfield. Although I think it's quite odd because I think, I think he's a brilliant at wing back. Mm. And I think Conte could have made him an even better one. Yeah. Spurs, Darren. Uh, Roger White asks 
Does the late transfer flurry give Spurs what they need to compete? Absolutely. Best defence in the Premier League has become stronger. They've got that depth in, in, in midfield already. Up front, they've got uh, somebody who not only gives uh, them a plan B and gives a hurricane competition mm. for his place, uh, but also someone who's huge experience in what will be a very difficult Champions League group. And sometimes we tend to forget that Dortmund, Real Madrid, you know, they'll need an old head. You know, I think he's a fantastic mentor for Harry Kane yeah. as well, having worked with so many wonderful players himself under so many talented managers too. I think Spurs, are they come out of the window very much as title contenders. Mm. Guy Owen asks us to look beyond the sacred seven, the top mm. seven, okay? Which team outside that group, i.e. the other 13 clubs, has done the best business in the window? And could you see any of those other 13 clubs breaking into that top seven? I'd say they're West Brom or Leicester, and I think Leicester have the best chance, actually. I think they could finish ahead of Everton. Even though I think Everton initially did very good business, and they have kind of bridged the gap, I think they've still got, having watched them against Chelsea, they really like it was a two 0 I could have been at six or seven. They were absolutely destroyed, and I think they do miss um, a striker, particularly pace up front. Mm -hmm. I think they could have a few more issues despite how much they've spent. Mm -hmm. But well, Leicester, I think, have kind of, and I mean, <laughs> I suppose West Brom have one of the most eye-catching deals in the window. Krakowia from PSG. No, I, think, I agree with you. Yeah. I think West Brom, they did a terrific business. They bought in Jerry Rodriguez for a bargain, £12 million yeah, yeah. in a crazy window. Hegazi, the centre-half they bought from Al Ali, started well in pre-season, carried that form into the Premier League. Krychowiak is an outstanding signing in any transfer window. Oliver Burke, the young uh, forward, he, he's a good player too. I think they've, got a one, they've done some wonderful business in the transfer window and most significantly they've kept hold of Johnny yeah. Evans as well. Um, I, I think Leicester. And you won't fault his attitude, by the way. Absolutely you? not. No, mm. no, he's, he's spot on, and he would have improved um, Manchester City. Um, it's the reason why they didn't get him. That I don't think that they'll be winning the title. But I think, as far as West Brom are concerned, Tony Pulis, hats off to him. Leicester too. If any team is going to break into that top seven, I think Leicester Kalecci is a magnificent signing for them. Kalecci and Archer from Man City. And you talk about young players not being given a chance at big clubs. He's one of them. He. Mm. Been at City. And they've kept Morris. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Despite one of the stranger stories of deadline day. Um, but yeah, I think. <laughs> went back to <laughs> London and said, Can somebody sign me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the signing that, that caught my eye was Renato Sanchez yeah. on loan from Bayern. And obviously, that's Paul Clements calling, calling in a favour yeah, from, yeah. from Carlo. But yeah. um, it'd be fascinating to see how he responds to the Premier League. Completely, especially when talking about one of the. in what was an otherwise in quite a dull Portuguese team last summer, but he was one of the more. Eye-catching players. Oh, harsh man, they won. <laughs> so, so did Greece. <laughs> we looked at Stuart. Uh, Stuart from Drystone Radio says, "Can you see a busier than normal January transfer window because of what's gone on?" Yeah, I can because there is still so much business unresolved. There are so still so many players who want to move mm. on. Uh, I, I think there could be some big name clubs who are underachieving by the time we get to the, the January. And also at the bottom end of the, this is the most competitive Premier League we've ever seen. And there'll be a lot mm. of clubs who are in trouble by the time we get to January. And I think they'll be wanting to try and address that balance. Mm. Talking of balance, Martin Harrison asks: Is the balance of power now shifting back to the clubs? away from the players? Um, this summer has been kind of signalled that. In mm -hmm. fact, I mean, you, with, with, as uh, the refusenicks, as you mentioned, usually with almost all those cases you would expect them to move just because once it came right down to it, 
um, the, the, the clubs would have, would have seen, or we may as well just take the money. But I, and I do wonder, I suppose, how much is connected to the, the amount of broadcast money that the clubs now have, yeah. that they can, you know, 60 million to Southampton suddenly, well, it's, 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 it's not that eye-opening a figure anymore, which is a, remark, a remarkable thing to say. Yeah. Final question from Jack, who's a Wolves fan, and his questions might be relevant because of a certain Mr Mendes. <laughs> can he have a simple explanation of the financial fair play rule. <laughs> I, let you take I, this one. I don't even know if it exists, to be honest, but you have to say it does. Well, I, suppose, I mean, everyone's talking about PSG in that regard and how, like, how's getting, how can they get away with it? I suppose, I suppose what, what was maybe unfair in your way from the situation is that this doesn't mean that PSG will get away with it. I mean, because it's always done at the, at the like, they're not going to investigate him now, they're going to investigate him in, in about a year's time. So and I, th- I think we could well see sanctions. I mean, we actually had a... The day but what the have they done wrong in simple terms? Well, I suppose basically, I mean, it, it, put, put simply, you can only spend what, what, you, what you can afford. Well, with certain kind of caveats to that, yeah. Mm. And I suppose the issue would be that there's absolutely no way that PSG can, reason, can realistically raise the money to pay for Neymar and Mappe without external investment, which UEFA, uh, UEFA's regulations wouldn't allow in that regard. But I mean, there's a lot of talk about how, how say, to get around this PSG, put, it, put in very, very simple terms, PSG would just say, okay, well, the QSI, they're gonna, um, we've, we've, we've signed a new connected um, sponsorship deal, but instead of being 40 million, it's 160 million. But, but UEFA don't actually allow that because UEFA have their own financial analysts who, kind of, who rate these things according to kind of what, what fair market value is. So say, mm. if Barcelona have a, have a similar deal for 60 million, then there's no there's no way this should realistically be 160 million, and they, they have kind of they had they have taken that account in the past previously when punishing PSG. So it's it's going to be interesting what happens, and also as you mentioned, the fact that the, the Spanish clubs are already kind of throwing their weight around this regard and, and demanding uh, demanding answers. I've got no sympathy for Barcelona whatsoever. Uh, what about Manchester City? Are they in danger? Um, I would say they have. I mean, they've spent around about 250 odd million pounds so far this summer. And you know you have to ask the same questions. You know, would you say that they they they're raking that amount in? So yeah, I would think they're in similar danger. Um, the only thing you know, you say get away with it. That phrase, get away with it. They've got the players they want, so they can achieve their objectives if they want to in in football. Mm-hmm. Getting away with it would be if they were deprived of those players. But if you find them 20, 30, 40 million pounds, fine, they'll take that. And yeah. that's, where, that's what makes so many people frustrated. So you talk about achievement, final question. And you know, before the season started, we all came up with our top four and bottom three. <laughs> now we've got no excuse of being wrong <laughs> because the transfer window's done and dusted. What's your top four, bottom three? I still think Chelsea will win the league. Tell um, I, I think that he's, he's still got a very strong first eleven. Uh, he's replaced players that he's lost. Um, the Champions League's a different matter, but I think he'll finish first. United, Jose normally wins in his second season, but I think uh, Conte will touch him off in this season. Um, Spurs third. I'm going to go for Liverpool fourth. Hmm? Uh, I'm going to go Chelsea, City, United, and it's one of Liverpool Spurs. Um, Liverpool as well. <laughs> <laughs> I reserve the right to change that every single week. And <laughs> <laughs> going down? Um, Brighton, I think. Can't score. 
yeah, Brighton, uh, they, they needed a striker in the window, didn't get one. They tried for Andoni and Janssen, couldn't get them. I think they'll go down. Um, Newcastle as well, actually. Newcastle, I think, may go down. I'm worried about Palace, unless there is a dramatic change in their fortunes. Um, mm. The yes. obvious ones, like Huddersfield, they, well, they started tremendously well and they look to have recruited well as well. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say they'll be obvious ones to go down, but I think the other three, yeah. So the one thing that I mean, I would say Palace and West Ham are in real danger, but I think when it comes right down to it, both of them will make the managerial change. They'll yeah, kind of okay. keep them up, and that, that, that's always going to the wild card. When you're making these predictions, mm. but on on current form, at least I'd say Brighton, Newcastle, and one of Palace or West Ham. Mm. Well, it's still United champions for me, followed by City, Chelsea, and Liverpool. I had Stoke to go down with Huddersfield and Brighton, but I've changed my mind. West Ham don't seem to have the stomach for the fight. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.